0: So good morning, everyone. Uh, it's great to see you. My name is Rob. If we haven't met before, I get to serve here and, and preach most Sundays, except for when I'm not here, uh, which Alex has been covering for the last few weeks, and it's been great. As we've been in this series on Jonah, exploring who Jonah is, why that might matter, what we can learn from this story, uh, what maybe it's our story in some ways, and maybe there are characters or incidents that we relate to, and we can explore that. When we started this series, I started with three questions, and I would, if I was mean, ask you if you remember them, but I know you remember them, so that's okay, so I'll refresh your memory just a little bit. But these three questions, I encourage you to try to re- reflect on and try to see what it says to you within the text, and one was, well, what do you believe about God, uh, which is a key foundational question, because what you believe about God can shape pretty much everything. The second one is, well, what do you believe about people in the general sense, not just the people sitting next to you, not just the people you know, but humanity in general, with people like you, people not like you, people in other countries, people down the street you maybe never talked to before. What do you believe about them? And then the third thing is, how does your belief display itself in your life? Both your belief about God and your belief about other people. I am convinced that what we believe creates how we think, and how we think dictates how we act. And so if our beliefs about God and people are a certain way, we should be acting in a certain way towards God and people. It should be reflecting in our lives. And so when we look at the story of Jonah, we're looking at the story of, well, what did he believe about God? What did he believe about people? And how did that display itself in his life? And we come to the conclusion this morning of chapter 4 in Jonah, and we're going to explore that. But I also want to explore two other questions. And I'd really love it if you would ponder this while I'm speaking, allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you as best you can uh, as you leave here, as you continue this morning, and just be open to what God might have to say through the text that we are so fortunate to have. One is, what is God trying to teach Jonah? One of the unique things about Jonah is it's very open-ended, and we don't get the conclusion we might want. For some of us, we love open-ended stories. We love to imagine things. This story, you can imagine what happens next. What is God trying to teach Jonah, and what does Jonah get out of this lesson? I want you to think about that. The other thing I want you to think about is, what is God trying to teach you in this story? Is there anything in particular for you to be reflecting? Is there something about the story that you relate to? Is there something about the story that you don't relate to at all? And maybe there's something God wants to teach you in that as well. So what is God teaching Jonah? we got to discover that first. And what is God teaching us? And how do we know what he's teaching us? To do that, we're going to jump into Jonah chapter 4, and we're going to walk through that chapter a little bit and explore what these words meant and why we need to take them seriously. Alex did a great job the last two weeks walking through chapter 2 and chapter 3 a little. And so when we jump into the conclusion, we're going to see how that all kind of comes together for those of us who maybe are a little less familiar with this text. Before we do that, let's just take a moment to pray. God, I thank you that you are um, good and merciful, as we sang in that song. Earlier, that your goodness and your mercy is with us all of our days. God, we're not always aware of how close you are, of how your goodness and your mercy is with us. But I pray that this morning we can be attentive to you, have our hearts, our minds open to what it is you might have to say to us. That this morning as we Dive into these words of Scripture, Lord, that, Spirit, you speak uh, through them to us. And that as we have questions that may come up from it, we seek your guidance to find the answers. Father, allow this text to speak to us this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Jonah's chapter 1, 2, and 3, we saw the story. Jonah starts off invited by God to go proclaim to a people... The judgment that's coming to invite them into a life of repentance. Jonah does not like that. He goes the other direction. Jonah ends up being swallowed by a fish in the process, has this wonderful prayer to God saying how great God is and how, you know, God's always right, I'm always wrong kind of a thing, and then reluctantly follows through and goes into the city, not too into the city but just enough into the city to proclaim God's message and people convert, or at least they repent. They realize, hey, you know what? We've done something wrong. And they try to change their ways. And God shows mercy on them. So Jonah chapter 4 starts like this after these events. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. And he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate, God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die. Then to live. But the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah sees the miraculous work of God, that God his invitation is heard by the people, and the people respond to it. They respond and go, Hey, we gotta change our ways in some way. We don't know all the extent that it did change. We we do know a little bit from history that it didn't really stick. They didn't really stay or even really attempt to be too faithful to God, but they started that process. God was merciful to them. And Jonah's response is, oh, why'd you do that, God? If chapter one, Jonah is running away from God, in chapter two, it seems like Jonah runs into God by being swallowed by a fish. In chapter three, he seems to kind of gently stroll, maybe run a little bit with God and bring in the message. In chapter four, Jonah is trying to run God say, you did this wrong. You didn't do it the way I wanted you to. You did it your way, and God, that was the wrong way. I could just die. Which seems a little bit melodramatic, but here we are. Interestingly, Jonah explains to God that God is gracious, and he is compassionate, and he is slow to anger, and he is abounding in love, and that he relents from sending calamity. Jonah explains to God, I know you're all these things, but why do you have to be those things right now? I like when you're those things for me, but not so much for them. Interestingly enough, that these exact descriptor words come up in other places in Scripture, and one is from about 30 years earlier in the prophet Joel, as he expresses that God is like that too. That he is gracious, compassionate, slow to anger. An interesting thing about slow to anger, and some of you learned this before, is that it's not a direct translation. The language doesn't work like that. It's actually like a visual word. Or basically says God has a really long nose. And it's kind of fantastic. Because sometimes we know the expression, your, your, your face gets hot when you get angry. Well, God's got such a long nose that it's going to take forever for him to get his face hot. There's this beautiful picture of God being patient with us. And so Jonah is saying, this is, this is who you are, God. This is who you are. And I wish I was dead. For many of us, the response maybe not, wouldn't be so dramatic when we see God work in a way that we don't maybe want him to, but sometimes it can still be just as negative. Sometimes we can see God do something as we've explored how is God working around us and we go, ah, I don't like that. I don't think that's the way God should be working. He shouldn't be Saving those people. He shouldn't be blessing those people. I don't like this, God. Or maybe we just have a general discomfort with it at times, going, this is different than how I thought it should be, God. I don't really like that. Whatever it might be, sometimes when we see God at work and it doesn't go with how we think God should work, we can have a similar response to Jonah. We can have a similar response because We might know that God is gracious. We might know that God is compassionate. We might know that God is slow to anger and that he's abounding in love. And we might like it when it's towards us, but we don't like it when it's towards someone we don't like. And Jonah had lots of good reasons to not like the Ninevites. He had a historical reality that says these are bad people. But God steps in and says, give them a chance. And Jonah says, I did, and I don't like it. Continues the text. Jonah had gone out and sat down at the place east of the city. So God asked them, hey, why is it right for you to be angry? And there's no response that we get recorded from Jonah. Maybe Jonah muttered something under his breath. I know I probably would. Um, but we don't get the response. And so he says, Jonah goes out and he sat down in a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Why is he waiting to see what would happen to the city? We don't know exactly, but I can guess he's still hoping God's going to, like, throw some fire at them. He's still hoping that this repentance was just not enough, and God's going to do what he wanted him to do. But he's waiting. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm, which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die. And said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said. I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. So Jonah's like all over the place emotionally. Let's just make this clear. Starts off, Jonah's angry. He tells God why he's angry, because God is so nice. I don't like you being so nice, God. So he's angry, and he wishes he was dead because of it. And God says, well, why are you so angry? Then he goes out and he sulks outside of the city, kind of hoping maybe God maybe changes his ways, maybe does something, you know, throw some meteorites at Nineveh and make it all good. And it gets a little hot, and God's gracious, compassionate. He grows a plant. Pretty miraculously, this plant grows right in those moments, covers him with shade, and it says, Jonah is happy. What an interesting statement to make. I'm happy because I'm not as hot as I was a few minutes ago. I'm angry, God, because you save people. I'm happy because I'm a little bit more comfortable. God also provides the worm. The worm chews the plant, the plant dies, the wind comes in, and he goes, oh, I wish I was dead again. How quickly his happiness turns when his circumstances aren't what he wants. And God says, do you have a right to be angry about this plant? And Jonah says, yes. He doesn't explain why. He's like, yes, I do. And I wish I was dead. Jonah's got a lot going on. Anything that disrupts his own comfort, he doesn't seem to like. Anything that goes against what is good for him or his perceived well-being in the moment, he doesn't like. He doesn't like to the point where he says, I just wish I was dead. I just wish it was done. Why be here? I mean, it's a very real feeling that some of us feel at times, let's be honest. Sometimes there's a really profound reason as to why we feel that. Maybe we've gone through some horrible circumstances and we wonder, what is the purpose of existence? What is the purpose of life? And we struggle to see it. I would hope that none of us ever feel that way when we see good things happen to people we don't like, but maybe we do at times. It's a real feeling that I think we need to bring to God when we feel it. And God actually never says, stop saying that, or you can't talk to me that way. He invites Jonah to say what he's really feeling, which is a really positive thing in some ways. And I think in the same way, he invites us to share when we feel down like that, for whatever reason we might feel, to bring that to him. But he also wants to correct that thinking. He also wants to correct what Jonah is believing in those moments, what his opportunity is to grow. And so the text is going to conclude with this. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than a hundred and twenty thousand people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals done. That's the end. Like I said, it's open ended. Jonah expresses what's in his heart, what's in his mind, saying, I just hate my life right now. I want to die. Which, again, I know that some of us have felt that at times. And I pray that it's not because you see good things in other people. But he, God allows that expression. He invites that expression. And as he expresses it, he's challenged. Like, Do you, why are you so angry? To which Jonah's not going to reply. And then he gets happy for a brief moment when his comfort sign restores momentarily. And God brings the worm, the branch withers, there's no more shade, and he says, why do you get so angry about this? And Jonah says, well, I, I am, I have every right to be, I just wish I was dead. And God kind of challenges him in his thinking. Okay, you feel that way about a plant. You had nothing to do with this plant. I had everything to do with this plant. More so, I had everything to do with these people who we know historically are cruel, violent people. They're not good, but they're still his people. Why would he not care more about them? And we're left to ask the question, what is God trying to teach Jonah? What is God trying to teach me? Jonah tells a story of reluctance Reluctance to see God for who he really is. Reluctance to do what God invites us to do at times when it goes against what we're maybe wanting or comfortable with. Reluctance to love people who maybe are different, who maybe don't fit the way we want things to fit. Some of you have gone through incredibly traumatic experiences in your life. Sometimes those experiences are at the hands of other people and it is normal and natural to desire no goodness for those people. Some of you, it's a systemic issue that you've gone through for your whole life where you see how things are working against you and you don't know how to fix it. It's hard to want good for people in that system. It's hard to want good or to want God to be gracious to people that harm you. I think we can understand Jonah, but it doesn't mean we should act like him. In fact, we need to ask ourselves, what is God trying to teach us about those people, about who he is? And most of all, who does God care about? Who does God care about? As we read the story of Jonah, we see these different characters come out, and most of them aren't from the religious system that Jonah is from, and yet we see God's graciousness on them still, implying that he cares about them. He gives the Ninevites a chance. He cares about them. So the question is, who does God care about? It's easier to look in the mirror and say, well, God cares about me because I came in on Sunday and I sang all those songs and I put some money in that offering plate in the back or I sent an e-transfer or I taught Sunday school or I did Lion Hearts or whatever I did. It's easy to say, well, God cares about me because I did all these things. But who does God really care about? Is it just you? Just people like you? It's very limiting if that's the case. Thankfully, I think Scripture actually tells us who God cares about. 1 Timothy chapter 2, the Apostle Paul is writing to Timothy, who's a young protege. He's trying to disciple him. He's trying to teach him. And he's actually teaching about how he should be a leader to other people, how he should lead other people to know God more, how they should be in a church, not a church as an institution, but church as a body of believers who come together and worship God together. And so as Paul is teaching Timothy, trying to help guide him in this, mentor him in this. He says this in chapter 2. First of all, then, I urge that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be offered for everyone. Okay, so first of all, I urge that petitions, prayers, intercessions, thanksgiving be offered for everyone. Let's, let's think about who is everyone. Who is not everyone? No one. Everyone is everyone prayers offered for everyone. Who do we exclude in that group? Who's excluded from everyone? Hopefully no one. Then you get specific, for kings and all those in authority, so that we may lead tranquil and quiet lives in all godliness and dignity. In the context in which Paul is writing to Timothy, he's writing in a world where his religious system, where his belief system, the truth and knowledge that Jesus Christ died and rose again, and that because of that, they find freedom and wholeness and salvation, is not widely accepted. In fact, it's a system at place, governmently wise where it's oppressed at times. Yet Paul says, specifically, those people who could do the oppressing... Make sure you're praying for them. Pray for everyone, but specifically, and also with thanksgiving, with intercession, meaning you're asking things, goodness, for them. With thanksgiving, you're grateful for them, to God. Those people that are going to hate you, Paul says, do this. This is good and pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Amazingly he uses that word everyone again, which again excludes no one. No matter where you're from, what cultural backgrounds you have, what religious system you've come from, what economic system, what sexuality you pursue, doesn't matter. God wants everyone to know him. No one is excluded from who God cares about. So much so that he tried to teach Jonah that the people that they have saw as disgusting, violent, and oppressive, God could be merciful to them too. God wants to teach us something in the story of Jonah. What does he want to teach you? Who does God care about? It's absolutely everyone. Second thing I want you to think about right now, do I care for who God cares about? Do you care for the people that God cares about? As I mentioned before, I had three questions to start the series, is what do you believe about God, what do you believe about people, and how does that belief display itself? Well, this is part of that. Do you care about the people that God cares about? Well, how does that display itself? How do you demonstrate what Jonah couldn't? Do you care about who God cares about? Or does how you feel, what you've experienced, what you've observed, what you've been taught, prevent you from caring about the people God cares for? Years ago, I used to spend a lot of time with the Free Methodist Church and I was working, spending time with the person in charge of church planning, the Free Methodist Church, and he would tell me stories of how there were two churches, Free Methodist churches, and I'm not trying to bash Free Methodist churches, I think they're wonderful. It's nothing like that. But there were two ethnic churches down the road from each other who wouldn't worship together. Both churches comprised of people from Sri Lanka. But one group was from the Tamil group, And one was from the nationalist group. And they refused to speak to each other because they had a culture of violence and war within their own culture. And so they brought it with them when they came to Canada and refused to see each other as the people God made them to be. That's one example, but this happens all over. In fact, it happens just churches from our church to the church down the street. We can look at people and go... Nah, God doesn't love them. Why? For a variety of reasons. Maybe they don't believe exactly the same things we do. And while I wish they would all believe like me because I believe everything right, we have to have a little bit of space for this. If we're just going to exclude whoever we want from the everyone that God cares about, we're going to miss out on what God's doing all around us. Jonah invites us to see who God cares about. Jesus invites us to know that it's everyone. Even in our differences. It doesn't mean we're all right. It doesn't mean that so-and-so who believes this or so-and-so who acts this way is receiving the grace of God at this moment. But it means that God cares about them still. And so should we. If God cares about everyone, so should we. And as hard as it can be, sometimes we have to let go of what we feel, what we want, and our past, to see people the way God sees them. Made in his image. Made to do good works in Christ Jesus. But not everybody knows him. So we're invited into that. So I hope that as we've reflected on this, we can see what God wants to teach us through the story of Jonah. And maybe for each of us, it's a very different thing. But what I would like to invite you to do this week is to see what it looks like in practice to not be like Jonah and to maybe be more like God, to be more compassionate, more gracious, slow in anger. And what I would like you to do is, if you could really think about it, Maybe think about people who you don't like. Maybe there's just a grouping of people, like Ottawa Senators fans. You can say, I just can't stand them. Or maybe there's an individual that you've encountered. Think about people, pray about people, you don't really like particularly. And then go and find out why God loves someone you don't. Not just theoretically, well, God loves them because he created all people, and, you know, Jonah's story tells us this, but what about this person is lovable? Get to know them. Demonstrate that you believe in this kind, gracious God by seeing what God sees in someone else. That's my hope and my prayer in the story of Jonah, that we can see ourselves when it isn't so pretty. And we can take a corrective course and not be like Jonah and express the goodness and love that God has for everyone. Does anybody want to ask any questions? I'm going to try and summarize that. I'm not going to fully summarize that. But basically, uh, Anna, you're, you're expressing kind of a defense for Jonah, which I think is valid to say like that you are, in particular, like Jonah, that you're dealing with situations where it seems like it's unjust or wrong at times. Uh, and I think... The point is we're all like Jonah, but that's actually not a very positive example. And it's not that it's wrong to feel the way we feel. It's not that it's wrong to be frustrated, but it's wrong to seek out ill for what we or who we are frustrated with. And it's wrong to think that God doesn't care about those we're against. And we don't necessarily have to ask forgiveness to a person who's wronged us. That's actually not a very biblical principle. Uh, what we need to ask forgiveness to is, is God when we go astray, but not for something who's done someone to us, something who's done something to us. And so I think it's fair to defend Jonah in the sense that Jonah is stuck in a mindset of what the reality is, is his experience is more important than everybody else's. And I think we're, most of us get stuck in that mindset at times, whether we intend to or not. And so when anything brings frustration or discomfort, it's easy to be cursing to God and say, why are you doing this to me? That's not exactly the story of Jonah in our experiences. Jonah's experience is that he thinks a whole group of people deserve to die and don't deserve God's mercy. It's a bit different than what we grow frustrated with. And the truth is that some people are hard to love. None of you, of course. But, you know, we've all known those people. Those people who drive us nuts. Those people who do everything against what we want them to do. Some of us who are parents, we think of our children until they're 18 at least. That that's been their whole life. But it doesn't mean they're not deserving of love. It doesn't mean that they're not deserving of God's grace. That's the story of Jonah. Jonah's saying they're not deserving of it. So, Anna, you may have some similarities to Jonah, but I think you are a loving, kind person who maybe doesn't demonstrate the same dislove, for lack of better words, because I just made that word up. Unlovingness, that's the better word, towards people. That's Jonah's story. Our story is, yeah, we have similarities. But our story, I hope, your story is never, oh, those people deserve to die and never deserve to hear about Jesus. Because if that's your story, then you really need to turn around and you really need to look in the mirror because that is not the way of Jesus. It doesn't matter how different a group is or how different a person is. We all are loved and cared for by God. Any other thoughts or comments? So David, your comment question is that, uh, as I've said, like there, there are similarities in our story with Jonah like, and that sometimes we do behave this way towards other people, so what do we do when we start to have those negative thoughts or unloving thoughts towards groups of people, individuals, maybe the way we see the way they look, the way they dress, all those kind of things. And I think uh, that's that's part of the point, is yeah, we do that. We do. And so we need to kind of reflect on why that might be. And so sometimes there might be an internal bias that we have, maybe from personal experience or a cultural background or whatever it might be, and we've got to reflect on those and go, how does that fit within the story of the gospel? How does that fit within the story that uh, Paul teaches Timothy that God wants everyone to be saved and that we are to be praying for everyone? How does that fit in John 3.16, when God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that none should perish but have eternal life? How does that fit within it? How does that fit with Ephesians 2.10 that uh, we are created anew in Christ Jesus uh, for the good works he's prepared for us long ago, right? And so we've got to reflect on who an individual is. How do we see a person? Right? Uh, yesterday we we're driving downtown. I think our daughters hung out. So I drove downtown and like, there's like an EDM music festival going on. So I'm looking at people. I'm like, they are dressed weird. Like, what is, what is wrong with this generation? You know? Um, I turned into that old guy. Uh, and I was like, this is weird. Like, those are some weird outfits. I don't, didn't know what was going on at first. And I had to look it up. So it's easy to look at someone and go, Oh, What's going on there? Maybe it's someone who dresses differently, maybe it's someone who looks differently, someone who smells differently. Uh, We experience that a lot sometimes. Um, And we get turned off and we go, I don't want anything to do with that person. Sometimes it's when someone treats us differently. And it's easy to go, you've harmed me. And people do that because people aren't always great. And we can write them off and say, that's an unlovable. That's someone not worth it. I think we need to remind ourselves, to me, I always go back to Scripture. I I start in Genesis when God says he creates humanity in his own image, right? And so you are made to be a reflection of God to all of creation. In fact, everyone is a reflection of God to all of creation. So I see the Jesus in you when I see you. I see the one who has redeemed you, who has made you more and more who you've always been supposed to be. I don't see you as you. I see who Jesus is and who he's inviting you to be. And when we can start to have that perspective of other people, where the Jesus that's in me sees the Jesus that's in you, we start to see that, hey, we've got a lot more in common. In Ephesians 2... um, It starts off, before Paul gets to that, he talks about how, you know, we have nothing to boast, we have nothing to be proud of, that we didn't earn our salvation, that we were just like everybody else. But God is gracious, God is good. And so we are invited to see each other as good, as because God is good. Not because we are, but because God is. And so I think if we are wanting to not be like Jonah, we have to start seeing people who God says they are. Not everyone comes to know the life and hope and saving faith of Jesus, but God sure wants everyone to know it. And so we need to start seeing people in that light that God wants them, God cares for them, God made them. No matter how much we disagree, no matter how much we might be disgusted at times by them, no matter how much sometimes they've hurt us, which makes it even harder, it's not to negate the fact that they've hurt us, but to acknowledge that God is more gracious than we are. And He's extended that grace to us. And so I think it starts with how we see people. And we need to go back to Scripture to see how God sees people. And see if we're willing to adjust our life to that. And sometimes we're not. Does that make sense? All right. Anyone else want to ask something? All right. Well I'm going to pray, um, I hope that the story of Jonah is something that maybe if, even if you are familiar with, it gave you an opportunity to reflect on it and see what it has to say in your life. What is God trying to teach you through this story? What was he trying to teach Jonah? Are there similarities? Are there things we need to learn? Jonah, we talked about early on, he's not a positive example. He liked to like pray for things that benefited him, but pray and very, was very nationalistic wasn't really kind of the way he should have been. He wasn't submitting to God. We have to try and adjust our lives to be submitting to God. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you are uh, gracious. Uh, You are compassionate. You are slow to anger. God, you are abounding in love. Remind us of that today. Remind us of the love that you have for us, that while we were still sinners, you, Christ, died for us. Remind us that none of us can boast in that because it's something you did for us. Remind us of what a good gift it is to know you, Jesus. And God, we pray for our hearts that when we seem to go the way of Jonah, when we seem to go in the direction of dismissing other people from your love, that we turn back to you. That we not see people as what we see on the surface or what we experience on the surface, but we see them as you see them, precious in your sight. People made in your image, made for good, even if they're not living that out yet. Help us to be people who are patient to see you work in the people we struggle with lives. Help us to be patient with the people that we desire To know you who don't yet. Help us to be abounding in love like you are. God, as we go from here today, wherever we find ourselves, I pray that we can look to see what it is that you love about the people we sometimes find unlovable. Help us to see your goodness in them, even when they are not kind. Help us to see your grace even when they feel undeserving. I just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.